Traditional IRA, rollover IRA, inherited IRA, Roth IRA, a SEP IRA, a simple IRA, and an educational IRA. Guys, when did IRAs get so complicated? It seems like these things, if you roll back in time, they started off so simple. But somehow we have complicated a thing, a reform that was going to make our retirement life easier. If you want to know anything and everything to know about IRAs, including the history, tune in to today's show. This is The Money Guy Show. It's Brian Preston, The Money Guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, The Money Guy. So, Bo, some of our listeners are probably thinking it is the end of the world as we know it. Well, this is this is what I think is just fantastic. You know, we, we are so fortunate. We work with clients in over 30 states now, but a lot of people we work with in our own neck of the woods right. who don't really know about the podcast. So whenever they come into our office, whenever they meet with us, they always ask, what, what's all that? You have recording equipment and microphones and lights and all this stuff. Right. You know, you guys have a music career in the silent. <laughs> I feel like today it finally started. We've answered this, that question This for was them. the beginning. No, no, no. I think we answered the question that there's no music career. I think I'm, I'm clearly <laughs> – what's funny is I play the piano, but I'm completely tone deaf on my singing. So it's – um, I would definitely be – um, who was the Van Halen brother that played all the the, the – you know, played all the keyboards. Not Eddie Van Halen. Everybody knows Eddie. The other one. I would be the other Van the Halen. The other Van Halen. <laughs> that's, that's who I would be because I could play the keyboards but would not be singing anything. But, okay, guys, we're going to be talking about this is the Money Guy Show. Go to moneyguy.com. You can also write the show, brian at moneyguy.com, Bo at moneyguy.com. Remember, by day, we're fee-only financial advisors. Bo's already shared with you we have clients in 30 states because this is our passion. I mean, we like to see... Our listeners go beyond common sense and make great financial decisions and stretch that dollar as much as possible. And today we're going to be talking about why IRAs are not created equal. And I want to give a little bit of a history lesson. You know, a lot of my listeners, you guys love it when I nerd out and I go back in time and tell you, why did things happen? Why, 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 how did we even get to the point that we have IRA accounts? And what happened was you have to go all the way back. To John F. Kennedy. You know, okay. we had John F. Kennedy as the president back in the early 60s. And there started to become a lot of concern with the funding of pensions. There wasn't a lot of guidelines. We had all these companies that were supposed to be saving and putting money aside for pension plans for their employees. And President Kennedy kind of realized, wait a minute, there's some concern here. Are the unions, are these employers, are they saving the money they say they're saving for their, their their employees? The problem is, like anything else in government, there was a lot of pushback. Sure. It, it's funny, as I was reading, when I was doing my research on this, it sounded a lot like the Department of Labor fiduciary thing, the, the battle that's going on right now. And I'm not even going to weigh in on that with this, but it, it was funny when I was reading the text, is that immediately when... The government started analyzing, are we getting funding requirements? Is everything being done appropriately? A lot of advocates and groups that didn't want to change the behavior of the time came out and kind of stifled it. Sure. So that, that's what, that was the early 60s. You fast forward a few years and you had Studebaker. Now, have you ever heard of Studebaker cars? Uh, that, nope. I'm just going to be honest well, with you. Well, Studebaker nope. cars, and by the way, they didn't start off making cars. You, since you don't know that they make cars, I'm not going to ask you, do you know what they started out making? They started out making wheelbarrows and, you know, 
carriages. You know, essentially, as a matter of fact, the Anheuser Busch. Whenever you see the Clydesdales, yeah, 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 they're they're that pulling is a, a Studebaker. That is, they're pulling a Studebaker. Nice. Um, trailer. What are those things? I mean, um, you know, wagon. Wagon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever. The, you know, because. So it goes back to the 1800s when the Studebaker. Well, anyway, they, they, by the 1900s when they were making cars, got in a lot of financial trouble, and they they totally took advantage of their employees in a way where they only funded. I think like a small percentage of people got a good portion of their pension, but then people who were under a certain age got just a little bit, like 15% of their pension. I think if you were under the age of 50. After they've been promised Yeah, after you've been promised, you didn't get hardly anything. You got 15%. And then there was another group of people under another age. It was just so tough. You know, we don't have the money, so you're not getting anything. So that was the part. And then, there, you know, when I was doing the research, there was some documentaries. NBC had a special report that came out in prime time talking about the broken promises of pensions. And this all happened. You fast forward by the 70s. The Studebaker thing happened in the late 60s. And then you had NBC and others, and, and there was some missing money from some of the union pension plans. And, and, and it all kind of came to a head in like 1972, 1973. By 1974, ERISA was the, the legislation that was passed. And part of ERISA, which was to protect you know pensions, make sure that there was funding requirements and all these other things, they also created... IRAs, because they were worried about for people who didn't have access to pensions, what could they do? So they set up individual retirement accounts. Now, you could not participate in an IRA if you were also eligible for a pension. So it's an either or. This was if you didn't have access to a pension, they at least wanted to give the the, the citizens an opportunity to have access to something. And you could also only maximize it up to 15% of your pay. Okay. Well, it wasn't. I mean, it was somewhat successful, but not really. There was a very low implementation. So it's evolved to where, you know, and then you fast forward to the 80s, and um, they, they opened it up even more so to where more people it looked more like what we have today with the traditional IRAs where you could put $2,000 a year, and it didn't matter. You know, it couldn't. It wasn't capped at 15%. Right. It got a lot more... Um, a lot more people accepted it. Sure. Um, and then they, they've tweaked it over the years, but overall it's evolved. And, and it's, it's just kind of interesting if you go back in time and see what got us this product. And, and we're going to walk through this evolution of, of what got us IRAs, but I want to kind of go through all the different versions. And what I think is so beautiful about this podcast topic is as you're listening to this, here, here we are in the throes of tax season. If you're early bird, you've probably already got your taxes done. If you're a late bloomer, you're probably working on getting getting them done now. Uh, and how many times do we get questions from someone, Brian, asking, hey, you know, I got a simple IRA. Where's that go on my tax return? Or I need to contribute to Roth. Where do I take the deduction? You know, there's a lot of misconceptions because there are so many different types of IRAs. So yep. we're hoping to maybe clarify that, maybe simplify uh, how to know what you've got and what makes sense for yeah, you. Yeah, and if you know all your different options, guys, let's let's face it. One of the most tax advantage ways that the government, the biggest, I'll say, legal loophole that's still out there is retirement savings. Mm-hmm. So whether we're talking about your employer plan or these IRAs that we're going to be talking about today, you've got to take advantage of what the government's trying to encourage you or incentivize you to do, which is save for retirement. So we're going to, let's just jump right in. The first one, traditional IRA. I think it's kind of fitting traditional. It was you know, the first one, right? It means that, you know, this is what it was like back in the past. And, you know, as the name implies, 
this is really similar to what the original intent was. Um, but we had some phase-outs written down here. Um, if you go through those real quick, and then I want to talk about the planning opportunities. Yeah, so if for uh, if in 2015 you were covered under a retirement plan, meaning you had access to a 401k or 403b or another ERISA-sponsored plan at your employer, um, you could not uh, you could not take a deduction for contributions to a traditional IRA if you were uh, if your income was between ninety eight thousand to one hundred and eighteen thousand. Um, if you are not covered, but your spouse is, the income limit increases to one hundred eighty three thousand to one hundred ninety three thousand for twenty fifteen. Now, recognize anybody though can do a traditional IRA. That was just to get some type of tax benefit, right. some tax deduction, I should say, because there's still a tax benefit through tax deferred growth. But here's where the planning opportunity has has rolled out, and this has evolved also, is that. You see people use traditional IRAs, and my, right now what I see people doing is just like we did the last show was on order of operations, money guy style. And we had people who had already done their employer match, who had already done emergency reserves, were already, you know, trying to figure out where they could put that additional money of that 15 to 20% they were trying to save. It's not uncommon. You still see people come back to traditional IRAs to kind of find an additional saving source so they could take advantage of that tax deferred growth. Sure. When I say tax deferred growth, you go hear that when we're talking about IRAs a good bit. What that means is, is that you, tax deferred growth means whatever you put in, you don't pay annual income taxes. So if there's interest income, if there's, you know, dividend income, if there's capital gains that are going on from buying and selling within the IRA account, you don't pay income taxes on that on an annual basis. However, so it grows deferred. But when you retire and start pulling that money out, that's when you pay income taxes, sure. usually at ordinary income tax rate. But here's where the planning opportunity for traditional IRAs is now. Now, we, you see people all the time either top off their retirement savings with traditional IRAs, or you even now see people, it's kind of brought traditional IRAs back in vogue, is you see people use it as a catalyst for backdoor Roth contributions, meaning that if you phase out of doing Roth IRAs, which we'll talk about in a little bit when we get to that point, you know, from your income being too high, but you don't have any other IRA sources, you can make a traditional IRA contribution and then convert it to a Roth IRA, and you shouldn't have much in tax consequences because you didn't get a deduction for the the IRA contribution, and then you convert it to a Roth. It, it's kind of a, a really unique opportunity that came about around 2010 when they took off all the income caps and limits off of Roth conversions. Right. So a great planning opportunity, a complicated convert, you know, opportunity. So make sure you understand all the ins and outs from a tax perspective, because I don't want you to say, hey, I listened to the Money Guy show. He says I can go convert if I make too much for Roth, but I can go set this up and convert it. If you don't understand all the different ins and outs, because there are some some checklists you need to go sure. through to make sure you qualify so it's truly a tax-free event, but a great planning opportunity. Um, remember, Right now, you can fund $5,500 a year if you're under 50. If you're over 50 years of age, they allow catch-up contributions, so they bump that up to $6,500 um, for people who are 50 and over. Bo, anything else that I, I missed on the traditional IRA side? No, I think the, the big thing that we see all the time is people get confused on traditional and Roth. So I think once we go through the Roth here in a second, we'll talk about the big differences in those two, and we'll even put sure. some, we'll even shed some light on which makes sense for whom and when. Um, the next evolution of IRAs that I think is it's basically – a traditional IRA, but it's a traditional IRA that only has one type of asset in it. And that's a rollover IRA. It's not uncommon. I thought it was interesting when I was doing research for the show. Here's what, here's what a, a stat I found. 
according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average worker will hold 10 different jobs by the age of 40. Holy cow. Now, Bo, you've told me you've only had two jobs, so you've got, between now and 40, you've got eight more jobs you've got to go get. Uh, I hope that that is not the case. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna try to bring that average down. Full, full disclosure, I think that you being an athlete for as long, and I'm not, I'm not making, I mean, you yeah, were an athlete, no. a college athlete, and so forth. I consider that kind of a job. So I think that precluded you from being able to do, whereas I did, you know, I, I was the jack of all trades. Because I think when they say 10, I heard that number and I was like, that's huge. I, I started adding it up, you know, between being the crew leader at Hardee's, working the drive through Right. To being a you know, lifeguard, a plumber's assistant, <laughs> a bus driver. Everybody knows. I don't. You know, that's a little known fact about me. Is I actually have a commercial driver's license because I drove like the big buses. You know, like you see at Disney World or at Marta if you're in Atlanta. I mean, I, I used to drive those type right. of buses. I did that. I'm trying to think of what other wacky jobs that I did, but. That's probably five or six you different things. You were a summer things. camp counselor or something like that? You do some well, stuff I, like I, that? I've done all kinds of substitute teacher. Yeah. Uh, that's another thing. That's where the passion for education. So I think that's where that, that stat comes from is because they're probably counting high school jobs too. But needless to say, there's a lot of jobs, a lot of people working. And, and I think even if you fast forward to adulthood, when you actually get out in the labor force, you know, you probably get access to an employer plan and then you move on to a new job sure. and you have a 401k or a 403b that's just sitting out there and, and you're like, should it stay out there? And, you know, and I think there's a planning opportunity. Now, first, let me go ahead and give you some guidance. If you work for a Fortune 500 company and you have access to one of the super low cost providers out there, um, where your internal expenses are super low, where there's not a lot of fees that are being assessed on the account, you might want to keep it at yeah. that because there are some benefits. Obviously, when you're in an ERISA plan like a 401k, a 403b, a 457, you have earlier access. You know, you might not have to wait until 59 and a half on some of those plans. They also have some creditor protection. Yep. Um, so there could be some opportunity just to leave it at the old 401k. Or maybe even leaving it at the old 401k provides you with the opportunity to implement the Roth conversion strategy. Exactly. But... There are that that's that's the part of why you want to leave it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that unfortunately don't have access to those low cost plans. A lot of people are still in very high cost insurance type plans or other things with sub account fees and it's layer on layer of different fees. And you also you don't want to you're, you're tired of loving the one you're with, meaning mm-hmm. that you might have a 401k that has subpar investment options. Right. Maybe you only have seven choices and they're very limited and you don't like them. Or or maybe it goes beyond the, just the culture of the company. You just don't like calling that HR director because you had you left them not so great terms and you just don't want to have to ever call that employer again, then this is when the rollover rollover IRA comes into play because you do have access to roll those assets into a rollover IRA and it could do a, what's called a trustee to trustee transfer and you wouldn't have any tax consequences. You would never actually touch the money. That's the key part from a tax perspective. You could then roll the money over not pay any income taxes because it would be a trustee to trustee transfer and you'd be able to, to choose who you want to hold that money as well as to help you invest that money. You know, we have, we have, uh, prospective clients and new clients come to us all the time and, and it's almost a patchwork quilt of what their life was like. We can mm-hmm. see all the old employers they worked for and all the plans. And what we tell clients, unless there's a reason to leave it in all those different accounts is, uh, if you think about all of your portfolio assets, your 401ks, your taxable account, your Roth IRAs, you really want to get them all moving in the same direction, exactly. working towards one common goal. That's a very difficult thing to do, 
if you have 12 or 15 accounts sitting out there. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, so it's a great way to consolidate and make sure that your financial picture is moving in one cohesive direction. That's a good point. Baggage claim. I also worked in baggage claim in high school. <laughs> it, just, it just hit me other random jobs I've done. So all those old 401ks sitting out there made you think of baggage. No, it, it is, the, that's what made me think of it is I have a fidelity. I mean, I don't think I'm breaking any compliance. Delta was fidelity, and I, and they did set up a retirement account, and it made me think of that when That's you were talking awesome. about rollover IRAs. So <laughs> bringing it full circle, Seinfeld style. Inherited IRAs. That's the next one I had on the list. Um, these are here's, – here's a key, key thing I want to bring out to people. Most people don't remember or recognize that – realize IRAs, just like your life insurance, they are – you determine who inherits those – by the beneficiary designation. Guys, if you don't get anything else from this show, get this. Any IRA you have is subject to beneficiary designations, meaning you choose who inherits the assets. That is not determined by your will first. I mean, it can be if you put, if you label your estate as your beneficiary, but typically this is completely outside of what your, your desires are listed in your will. You need to list your your beneficiary designations. But Brian, I'm I'm married. I've been married for sixty years. My wife and I have one child. We're all on great terms. It's pretty obvious where my money is going. Do I really need to go through the steps to add them as beneficiaries? You definitely do because th- this is why we all hate paying taxes. And if you want to stick it to the tax man legally, th- you've got to fill in the beneficiary designations because they treat the people completely different if they are listed beneficiaries. So you want to not just have your primary, you want to have your primary and your contingent, meaning that just in case the primary also passes away with you, like your spouse, have the contingent primaries, I mean, the contingent beneficiaries listed also. There's nothing wrong with having that set up. Um, And and that's an important thing. We could probably do a whole podcast on persterpes and all kind of other things, but recognize, have those beneficiary designations. And that, that gets into inherited IRAs. If you if you have a loved one who passes away, um, you potentially could have an inherited IRA. Now, if you're a spouse, they've changed these rules not too many years ago. If you're a spouse, you can take your spouse's IRA assets and just roll them into yours, treat them like they're yours. That's a great planning opportunity. You should take advantage of that. Um, but there's also now, if you have, say, your children or you list you know, another beneficiary on the account, it used to be you'd have to do it over your life expectancy. If you, you're the do one whatever passing, your life expectancy. The minimum required distributions. Um, but now they've made it where it's much, much easier, where you can really take advantage of that tax-deferred growth, is that if you have your children listed as contingent beneficiaries and you and your wife pass away together, or maybe you have your children as the primary beneficiary, they could then inherit those IRAs, and then they're just required to take the minimum required distributions over their life expectancy that the IRS, IRS publishes on a table. And um, that's pretty valuable, right, Brian? Because if you're mm-hmm. 80 years old, and say you have a child who is uh, 50 years old, it's probably much more advantageous for them to be able to pull that out over their 50-year-old life expectancy than having to pull it out over your 80-year. It's going to be a little bit lower. Yeah, there, there's tax definitely a planning right? opportunity there, and that's what guys don't mess around with minimum required distributions. That's one of the things that is very um, 
I guess they, 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 they're punitive in the damages that the government does if you're not keeping up with the required minimum distributions. So you might, it, it makes sense to, to reach out to an advisor, an accountant, or somebody. When you start, if you're over 70 and a half on your retirement accounts, or if you inherit assets that are in a retirement account, it probably makes sense just to measure twice, cut once, because you don't want to get stuck where you misunderstood the rules and there was that punitive tax penalty that you could could run across. Um, but but definitely understand how inherited IRAs might need to be set up if you do have a, a loved one that passes away and you're named as a beneficiary. Here's one little interesting, and this is super inside baseball, but it's kind of a cool thing to throw out there. Uh, if you're someone who is perpetrating a Roth conversion strategy annually uh, and you end up having a loved one who passes away and leaves you an IRA uh, and you open an inherited IRA, uh, know that for the calculation, you're actually still eligible to do backdoor Roth conversions without that IRA coming into play. So that's just a unique, obviously, seek tax guidance or professional advisors, advisors guidance. But don't feel like just because those assets have flown to you that that planning strategy is out the door for you. Could you plant a little nugget in there? No, I'm just dropping that in there. Yeah, so um, big one. I feel like what I'll have a drum roll, you know, if I was... You know, Roth IRAs. I mean, talking about evolution, this is like when, you you know, this is almost like a Marvel um, big CGI-type conversion of what has happened to to traditional IRAs. You know, they got a hold of some plutonium or some, I don't know, you know, I was trying to think of gamma. That's gamma radiation. That's what happened. They got took a traditional IRA, got some gamma radiation, and created the Incredible Hulk of Roth IRAs because these things – Guys, if I can tell you what I get excited about when you talk about planning for retirement, Roth assets. I don't care if you're talking about Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, Roth 403bs, but why do I almost shake with excitement when I talk about Roth assets? Well, because Brian, you're a tax guy. That's where your training is. That's where all of your former knowledge existed in the main part. And you really don't like paying more in taxes than you have to. I legally pay my taxes, though. I don't want anybody listening and saying, Brian doesn't pay taxes. I pay taxes. Brian pays taxes. I'll go ahead and back him up on that. But the Roth IRA is fantastic because it is a way to have a benefit that is tax-free forever. Yep. That, that's the incredible thing. As long as you comply by, you hold the account for five years, you're over 59 and a half, you can take the growth. Instead of it being tax-deferred, it's tax-free. Big difference between tax-deferred, tax-free. That's the gamma. That's the gamma radiation. You know, it's mutated that tax-deferred growth into tax-free growth. Guys, that's a tremendous planning opportunity. It's not just for young people, too. Talk about a state planning opportunity. Whew. Really cool thing if you think about the power of tax-free growth. And that's a, that's a, that's a huge planning opportunity you get with Roth IRAs. Before I kind of get to the honorable mentions, Bo, the reason we talk about all these different IRAs and why it's, you need to understand the different baskets, I talk about with prospects, with clients, and others, and we talk about it on the podcast a lot, too. We have diversification of asset classes. You, you want to have your, your bonds. You want to have your equities. You want to have your international. You want to have some real estate. You want You go and mix up your assets, but then you also need to have tax diversification. When you hit retirement, if you really want to maximize planning opportunities, don't just have all your money in one basket. Don't have it just in your 401k through tax-deferred growth. It's nice if you have money in after-tax money, like your joint accounts, your individual accounts, your savings accounts. If you've got tax-deferred accounts, like a, a rollover IRA, a traditional IRA, and 401ks, and then if you have tax-free pots of money, man, when you retire, say it, 
before you're 70 and a half right. and you have to start taking minimum distributions, you can have your way with planning what you want to pay in retirement in taxes. So it really opens up your, your opportunities. If I'm hearing you right, I heard uh, initially, you know, you talked about traditional IRAs and they grow tax deferred. I got to pay taxes on it. And, but the Roth IRA grows tax free. Well, why wouldn't everyone, just everybody out there do Roth IRAs? Well, they, they have, they have earning limits. Yeah, I mean, you, you, if you make too much money, income limits, I should say, not earnings limits, but if you make too much money, they phase out. Um, and, and that's a great point. For single people, I'm reading off my list here. It's 116 to 131 for married couples who file a joint tax return. It's 183 to 193. So if you make over those thresholds, government kind of says, oops, sorry. No, no, we're not giving you access. Now, here's a loophole. If you have an employer plan that offers Roth options, like a 401k or 403b, no income limits on those. But when you're talking about Roth IRA specifically, they have income limits. And that's why we brought up the whole conversion strategy that, that, that's sitting out there. So is there a time, if, uh, if you're an individual, let's say that you qualify for Roth contributions, you fall below the limit. Is there a time, maybe you're at 182900 right there below the, the phase out, is there a time when you would pick a traditional IRA over a Roth, or is it always Roth, or does it depend? I mean, when, when you're talking about a Roth IRA, I'm assuming now, uh, going back to my order of operations, you've already taken advantage of your employer match, you've taken that free money, um, and you're now coming back to a, to a Roth. Because here's what I would like to tell my clients or, or listeners or or whoever. I think once you're over the 25, 25% income tax bracket, um, you want to probably like on your retirement plans and your 401ks, you want to put those traditional, meaning you want to get a tax deduction because you're hoping that when you retire, you can work through the tax code and, and get a lower income tax rate. But if you've gone through the order of operations and you still have excess money, I would probably still go to the Roth IRA over a traditional because I, I just think if you can combine those things, I mean, that, that's pretty incredible. That, that's pretty powerful stuff. So I think those are great points, Bo, and I'm glad you brought that up because I gave another planning opportunity for our listeners. I, I had a list of some honorable mentions that are all part of the, the IRA family, and truthfully, we could probably do a podcast on one or two of these sure. all by themselves. SEP yeah. IRAs. SEP IRAs are, you know, it's, it's, it's another evolution of IRAs in the fact that the government wanted to give small businesses a chance because it's not uncommon. You know, it is common. I, I shouldn't say it's not, but you go and you, you have a company that's successful. Most companies that are successful, especially the Fortune 500, are going to have benefits like a 401k plan or, or, or a whole basket of cafeteria options that they offer. So the government says, well, wait a minute, you know, our small business is really the engine of the economy. Let's give them some type of benefit. And that's where SEP IRAs came in is that these are not funded by the employees. These are funded only by the company. So you set up a small company, you can, you know, you're self-employed, you can set up a SEP IRA. And, and here's some of the cool things. If you take a W-2 wage from your company, you can do 25% of what you pay yourself. It through a SEP IRA. So it decreases it, your taxes. It, it decreases your taxes. If you're running 1099, you know, or you're truly running a sole proprietorship, meaning that you, you've got a side hustle or, or a small business that you start out and you're just doing like a Schedule C on your 1040 for, for self-employment income, 
you can do around 20%. It's still 25% is the code, but there's an offset for FICA and Medicare or self-employment tax, which effectively brings that number down around 20%. But you can really, if you, if you, if you have an unexpected self-employment income, a sole proprietorship, or something where your income comes in, and you're like, gosh, how in the world can I get these taxes down? SEP IRA is probably the easiest thing. And here's what the cool thing about SEP IRA is that you don't see with anything else hardly. You can go back in time. No kidding. It is like Michael J. Fox in a DeLorean. You can go back in time with a SEP IRA because you can, and this is one of the coolest things I can remember when I would have a person come in um, back when I was doing tax preparation and be like, oh my gosh, oh, $7,000 with my taxes? Is there is there a way to get? Yeah, I, I got a magic pill that will make that go down significantly. And they're like, "Was well, it too late?" Because you know that happened. Last that was year. incomes last year's income. How can I make it? How can I fix it this year? SEP IRAs are the only thing that really kind of lets you go back in time. Well, I, I should say not the only because it lets you go further back in time. Sure. It's a more powerful time machine because. Here's the thing. Traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs, you have until the tax filing deadline of April 15th to file those contributions. SEP IRAs, if you file an extended tax return, guess what else gets extended? The funding deadline for your SEP IRA. So you could go out all the way up to October of the following year and still be able to fund that. So really an incredible, incredible thing. Um, for my self-employed people. Now, here's the only, let me, I gave you the great. Let me give you the, the not so great. If you got employees or people working for you, if you give yourself 15% in your SEP IRA, guess who else you have to give 15% to? All your employees. So that's the only downside. It usually works best when you have a, a small business with only, uh, you know, a husband and wife or, you know, or spouses that are working for the company or family members. Um, so that leads to the next thing, the evolution of the simple IRA. Simple IRAs are also IRA accounts that were set up for small businesses, and they're kind of like, I like to call them like 401k light mm-hmm. uh, because they're very similar to 401ks in the fact that you have a salary deferral, meaning the employee gets to choose how much they want to put into their retirement savings, and then you have a, an employer match that kind of rolls in on top, usually around 3 or 4%. So there's some skin in the game from the employees versus the SEP. The employer does all the contributions. The employee does none. Simples at least let the employee also now put skin in the game through making some salary deferrals. Um, so you can do that. These are these are limited to companies that are less than 100 employees. Um, and also recognize they don't have a 5500 requirement, a form 5500, which is an annual tax form that 401ks have to do. So you have simple IRAs that, that are set up. And they're, they're, their limits are a little bit lower. If you're under 50, you, an employee can put up to 12500 into a simple. If they're over 50, that number goes up to 15000 500 for those over 50. Um, that, that, that was a, that was a kind of a big breath full there. I mean, anything else you'd add with simples? No, I think, uh, it's, it's just like you said, there's an evolution, you know, you're self-employed, it's a SEP, and then you add some employees and it's a simple. And basically all the simple is, uh, is just like you said, a 401k light. And just so people know, just like we're talking about the evolution of IRAs, the same thing happens with small businesses. When I first started my financial planning business, I was the only employee, so I had a SEP IRA the first one or two years. And guess what I set up like in year three was a simple IRA. I kind of evolved from the SEP to the simple. And then guess what? After that, now there's a new thing that wasn't around back then. They have they have solo 401ks. If you don't have a lot of employees, you could do, which kind of give you some ex- exemptions on the retor- reporting requirements and testing. But then after you get past the simple and the solo 401ks, you can then evolve into a full red-blooded 
401k that, you know, gives you all the benefits of a Fortune 500 company. So just kind of your life evolves just like these things do. And that's probably a a good place to kind of give one more honorable mention and then close this thing out. And I don't know if people necessarily call these IRAs anymore. They really call them educational savings accounts, Mm -hmm. but um, they they started off being called educational IRAs or covered IRAs. And I felt like, you know, since they have IRA in the title or they once did, it'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least bring them to to the conversation. Educational IRAs are kind of a cool little thing. Um, You don't see them used a ton. I mean, we, we, you know, because 529s have become so prevalent, and you also see 529s that um, get some ta- tax incentives within the states, um, that, that you've seen 529s much, they're used much more than you sure. see educational savings accounts or educational IRAs. But there are two things I wanted to make sure I shared with my listeners that are benefits of educational IRAs over 529s. If you know you're going to send your child to private school, K-12 through primary private school, Guess what? You you can't use a 529 for that. You can use an educational savings account or an educational IRA. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a great planning opportunity. For my, I, I don't think this is, it's one I'm going to put out there, but I don't know that I necessarily agree that it's the perfect benefit. Sure. Uh, because I think if you're choosing some of these better plans that are using some of the low-cost providers like Fidelity, Vanguard, and so forth, you know, they have a pretty good broad spectrum of products that they're offering a diversification. But one of the, the unique things about educational savings accounts is that you can go set these up with a custodian. And if you want to go buy a stock, if you want to go buy an ETF mm-hmm. or, or, or more specialized type investments, you have access to the entire really investment universe, whereas 529s are typically capped at um, just working within the universe right. of the custodian that you, you hook your account to. So th- those are... T- Two of things, realize they do have some, some income limits. So make sure you go and, and, and are aware of those income limits with educational IRAs. But, and maybe that's a little too much since sure. we, I primarily want to focus on retirement, but I felt like it was important to bring that forward. And that just, that kind of brings it full circle to the fact of, guys, your life will evolve. I mean, we're, we're doing some internal research right now. And Bo, it is very safe to say, even if you increase your savings as you make more and more money, in your your work life, that first ten years of of saving in retirement is worth substantially more than the last twenty five years of saving for yep. retirement, just off of the compounding interest. And guys, your life is going to evolve. Your financial life is going to evolve just like these IRAs have. There is never a bad time to start. Yep. Don't let the scary stuff out there in the world freak you out from saving for the future. And then now that you have this toolbox, it's been maximized where you know what things are, which you know what their purpose is. Go attack, go, go, go get, let this be the day that you take three steps forward to building true financial independence. And that, that fulfillment that comes from that. Um, I close it out. Fee only financial advisors, locations all over the Southeast. Love to work with you. Um, if you want to take the relationship to the next level, because we do have clients in 30 states, reach out to us, moneyguy.com. I'm your host, Brian, my co-host, Mr. Bo Hansen. We'd love to talk to you, and thank you for all just the support. I mean, we're going 10 years plus now, wild. and wild, wild. Um, can't believe how this thing just keeps evolving, using the word again, <laughs> and growing, and it's thanks to you guys. So thanks so much, and I'm your host, Brian Preston. Talk to you in two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. 
Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.